Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. We're going to continue in our study through Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah 11. We're going to read the first two verses, and then I'm going to pray. We'll get, we'll dive in. Nehemiah 11. As you're turning, if you if you are new to Resurrection Church, we have connection cards on the seat backs in front of you, and I encourage you to take that and fill that out. Turn it in at our welcome table before you leave. We have a gift for you, and uh, even if you haven't been here in a while and and you're just your first time back in a while, we'd love to connect with you in a deeper way. So take that long greenish card and turn it back in. We've got a gift for you. It'd be awesome for you to go back there before you leave. Nehemiah 11, verse 1. If you're there, say Amen. Amen. Anybody have trouble finding Nehemiah? No hands went up. That's good. Verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in their towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Everybody say, it's time to move. All right, let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, be the teacher and the preacher today. I just ask you to use my mouth and mind as your instrument uh, and let the words of life, the eternal words of truth, penetrate every heart and mind, mine included. And may we be transformed for your glory and the spread of your fame. And everybody said, "Amen." amen. Now, you remember... In our story, just a quick recap, it was in Nehemiah chapter 6 that the nation returned to Jerusalem that was, the city had been left in ruins and conquered by the Babylonians and now Nehemiah, this cupbearer in the king's court, returns to the city with a mission and a vision to rebuild the holy city and reestablish the nation of Israel and in chapter 6, the wall around the city was complete. And you remember after they completed the wall, they entered into about three weeks of worship and celebration and fasting, followed by this season of repentance that culminated with them getting out a document and literally signing it, making a covenant reaffirmation, a recommittal to the Lord and to his ways at the end of Nehemiah chapter 9 and, and, this, and, and chapter 10. And this covenant renewal, this covenant reaffirmation was specific. They committed themselves to live according to God's law in some specific ways with regard to their family, their relationships, how they did business, and even with the temple worship. So that's where we left off in the story. And now it's time to take the next step. And you might come to Nehemiah 11 and 12 and ask the question, why is this in the Bible? Because it's just a big, long list. I mean, all the way through the majority of chapter 12, there are lists of names of of people, Levites, priests, gatekeepers, temple servants, uh, just on and on and on, this list of people, uh, many of whom were repopulating the city. As you remember, the city wall was in ruins. There was just the rubble was piled up high, and the people labored intensely 
to rebuild this city, and they had to deal with threats. People like Sanballat and Tobiah, you remember those guys? They threatened the people, tried to get them to stop working on the wall, and they had to deal with those threats. And now the wall is complete, but Nehemiah tells us there aren't many people living in the city. The leaders of Israel are living in the city, but the majority of the people live outside the city. And the primary reason for this was because there, weren't, there wasn't much economic opportunity inside the city. For most families, it made sense to live outside the city, farm your own plot of land, and provide for your family. To move inside the city would have been risky. And so Nehemiah knows if the city is going to be reestablished, and if it's going to be protected, they're going to have to get some people to move inside the city. That's where we are in the story. Now let's hit pause on that for just a minute. Let me ask a question. You don't have to answer out loud, just in your mind. How does a person go into the ministry? How would you answer that? You might say, in order for someone to go in the ministry, they need to go to Bible school. They need to go to Bible college or seminary, and they need to serve in a church or in some ministry for a period of time and then be ordained. That's perhaps how many of you would answer that question. How does somebody go into the ministry? Now, I'll admit that's a bit of a trick question because the question and the answer I gave are based on a common but nonetheless erroneous notion that most Christians tend to have that divides the body of Christ into two categories. People that are in ministry, clergy, okay, and people who are not in ministry, laity. That's a typical mindset. And here's what I want to say about that mentality. It's deadly. It can actually hinder the body of Christ, from being what God intends it to be, this notion that it's only the clergy, those are the people that are in ministry, and the laity, the rest of us, we're just sort of along for the ride. What happens is you get a few people doing ministry, and then everybody else is sitting back and watching. You with me? And that's just not the way the Bible lays it out. The Bible says, in fact, that pastors... Teachers and evangelists, their purpose in the body of Christ is to equip the saints, everybody, for the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Let's read it. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So here's the right answer to the question, how does somebody go into ministry? They get saved. When we are saved, we trust Christ as Savior, we are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Look at this on the screen. For in one spirit we were all, everybody say all, all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So here's the good news for all of us. If we're saved, if we're born again, we've been filled with the Spirit and we've been baptized into Christ's body. We've been immersed, that's what that word means, into the body of Christ. We are members and everybody has a spiritual gift that is meant to be exercised in ministry for the building up of the body. 
You with me? That's everybody. Okay, just look at the person next to you and say, that's you. All right? Everybody. So, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a mindset shift that I think a lot of us need to have happen for us. Where we realize, I've been called into ministry. I've been gifted by God for ministry. And I'm going to have to give an account for that ministry. Okay, let me say it again. You and I have been called into ministry. Not just me, because i got reverend in front of my name. Okay? Yes, there are specific giftings, evangelists, pastors, teachers, where formal training and vocational ministry often are a part of that. But... If you, if you think that the pastors and missionaries are sort of in the special forces and you're just sort of in the stands cheering, let me dispossess you of that wrong notion. We are all called to ministry. And we're all going to give an account for the ministry that God has for us. So here's what I want to do. I want to launch from this text... And I want to talk about what it means that we're all called, how we walk in it, how we understand it, and what are some of the obstacles and challenges to actually walking in the ministry that God has for us. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to launch from this text and talk about that. Nehemiah 11, two things happen in order to repopulate the city. They do two things. Number one, they cast lots. If you've never heard of that, think of rolling the dice. Okay. Vegas visited Jerusalem. It's really about that simple. In ancient Jewish tradition, they would cast lots, and the belief was that God would sovereignly affect those lots so that they could discern his will. So in Nehemiah 11, they cast lots, and the ones who drew the lots moved into the city. The second thing they did is that some people willingly volunteered. Right? Some of them willingly volunteered either in place of or in addition to the people who Cast lots. Now, casting lots is not something that's necessary for us, New Covenant Christians. Although, I do find a lot of Christians do similar things. We tend to get a little superstitious, don't we? Some of us are afraid to admit that. But how many of you have ever heard of something called putting out a fleece? Raise your hand. You ever heard, heard something like that? Some of you are like, I don't know what that is. Well, even if you don't know what that is... I can almost bet you that you've done it. Here's how it often plays out. God, if you want me to marry this person, God, if you want me to take this job, let a purple Lamborghini cross my path today. Huh? Y'all laughing because you've done it, haven't you? Perhaps it's not that crazy or that erroneous. You know, it, especially if it's something you really, really want, you try to make it easy on God, right? If you want me to marry this person, let the sun come up tomorrow. You know? It's putting out a fleece. Here's another thing people do. I call it Bible roulette. God, I need to know your will. So let me find a verse. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but some of you have done that, right? But you've got to be careful, because you might end up in Psalm 38.7. Old King James says, lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. 
It's in the Bible. Or you might end up in Exodus 23, 19, I think it is. Don't cook a goat in his mother's milk. Now you unpack that text. Exegete that text. No dairy with your meat. No cheeseburgers. You might be praying, Lord, are you going to heal me of sickness? And then you find Exodus 23:19. He says, Stop eating cheeseburgers. That's how, you know. We don't need superstitious activities like that to discern God's will. Particularly when it comes to the ministry that He's called us to. Do you realize that? We're, there are ironclad promises in Scripture when it comes to endeavoring to understand God's will for your life and the ministry that he's called you to. Promises that you and I can rest in. I'm going to break them down into three things, okay? Here's the first one. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. You and I are not creating our own destinies. Now that... That might sound simple. You might feel like you've heard that in church before. But that is as countercultural a statement as we could possibly make in our day and age. We are ingrained with this notion, I am the captain of my own destiny. I'm creating my own future. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want it. I can make my life what I want it to be. Let me give you some good news. If you're a Christian, you're not creating your own destiny. I probably could make the case that even if you're not a Christian, you could, you're not creating your own destiny. But let's just leave it right, that, right there. You and I are not the captains of our destiny. Let me show you from Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. That ought to be a big amen shout right there. We did not save ourselves. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. It is God's doing, not ours. How many of you are thankful for that? My efforts to save myself end up in a big, fat mess. But God, by grace, through faith, the gift of faith, saved me. The Lord wasn't lost. I didn't find the Lord. He found me. Praise be to his name. But then watch this connection. Verse 9. Not a result of works, so that no man may boast. We can't boast in our salvation. God did that. And then verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you want a text from which to anchor to this truth that all of us are called into ministry, this is the one I would point you to first. Because notice how he connects salvation, being the gift of God, with the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. God has a plan. So in the same way that I don't save myself, I don't create the good works or the future fruitful ministry that he's called me to walk in. God creates all of that. I thought I'd get a better amen than that because that's a huge load off. If I have to figure out fruitful ministry on my own, if I'm, if I'm to participate with Jesus in his kingdom work 
with my own wisdom, my own knowledge, my own experience alone? That's a scary notion. But no, God has prepared good works for me to walk in. Not every conceivable good work. You you are not called to the good works that I'm called to. But you are called to the good works that God has prepared for you. You, If you are in Christ, you are destined for good works. That's great news. So that's the first thing. God has a plan. Here's the second thing. In Christ, we are being led in that plan. So in the same way that I don't determine the ministry that God's called me to, or the good works, I'm not even walking out that ministry of those good works on my own. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You and I are being led. You know what that means? You're not where you are by accident. You're not in the church you're in. You're not in the job you're in. You're not in the house or the neighborhood that you're in. You're not married to the person you're married to. You don't have the children that you have by accident. You're being led. You're being led by the Spirit, and that's not in question. But you might find yourself saying, well, what about the mistakes I've made? What about the times when I'm not listening? What about the times when I've disobeyed? Skip to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, how many of you love God? And you know what? You don't love Him on your own. God transforms our hearts and we love Him. It's right for you to give thanks for the simple fact that you love Him. So for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know what that means? Even the mistakes that I make. Certainly we take detours. We're not always listening. You remember when God called Abraham? You go back in your Old Testament. Remember when God called Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to get up from the land that you know. I want you to go to a land that I'll show you. And he got up, he left everything, left family, kinsmen, everything. And he started to just follow this plan of God for his life, you know, just trusting God by faith. He says, go to a land that I'll show you. Well, Abraham gets on the way, and he veers off into Egypt. If you go back and read the story, the interesting thing about that is God never told Abraham to go to Egypt. He said, go to a land, I'll show you. He goes into Egypt, and you know what happens when he gets to Egypt? He gets himself in all kinds of trouble. He has to start lying. He lies to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh that Sarah, his wife, is actually his sister because Sarah was so beautiful, he was afraid that Pharaoh would kill him in order to take Sarah as his wife. So Abraham ends up in a mess. When Pharaoh discovers the whole thing and realizes that Sarah is not his sister, he's actually his wife, Pharaoh is upset. But then here's an interesting statement in our Bibles. 
is that Pharaoh actually sends Abraham and Sarah out, and the Bible says he left Egypt with the spoils. He took a detour that God didn't intend for him to make, and he left with more resource than when he went in. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So I don't create my own destiny. I don't manufacture the ministry that he's called me to. And I'm being led by his spirit all the time toward the ministry that God has for me. Amen? And here's the third thing. Number three. Discernment of God's will requires a renewed mind. Discernment of God's will requires a renewed mind. The more I read the scripture and the longer I journey with Jesus, the more I'm convinced of this. God has a plan for my life. I'm being led in that plan. But in order for me to fully enjoy the life God has for me, the life with him, I need discernment. I need to be able to discern his leadership in my life. I need a renewed mind in order to discern his will. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes and says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to study through the book of Romans beginning this fall, and I am super excited about it. I'll tell you this much. Paul wrote Romans to a group of Christians that he's never met face-to-face. But he wrote them this letter because his desire was to go to them and do ministry among them. He opens Romans chapter 1 with, I have longed to come to you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. So Paul had a vision for doing ministry in Rome. And he wrote the entire book of Romans, really his manifesto, so that when he got there, they would understand the gospel And they wouldn't be, when he got there to do ministry, they wouldn't be starting from zero. And by the time we get to the therefore in chapter 12, he spent the better part of three chapters unpacking the mystery of God's will. The mystery of God's will and his redemptive plan. He spent three chapters unpacking that. And so he comes to chapter 12 and he says, therefore. If you're going to discern God's will, if you're going to understand the Spirit's leadership in your life, if you're going to enjoy life with God, walking out His plan for you that includes fruitful ministry, you need a renewed mind by the gospel, through the Word of God. It's only through living here that I'm going to discern the Spirit's leadership in my life. doesn't mean the Spirit's leadership is in question, but my discernment, my perceiving of it, is directly related to the renewal of my mind by this. I meet Christians all the time that just, they feel like their life is unraveling. They feel like their life's out of control, that it's in chaos. And here's what I'm convinced of. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, You're being led by the Spirit. Now, you might grieve Him. 
You might quench him. You might push back. You might try to resist. But you are being led. And if you're going to enjoy life with God, how many of you understand how important it is to live here so that my mind is renewed, so that I can enjoy his leadership, not resist it and try to push back? Amen? So God has good works prepared for us to walk in, and I'm being led by his spirit in those good works. We are called to ministry. God has prepared that for us, and he's leading us by his spirit, and he's given us his word so that we can discern his good, perfect, pleasing will. I don't know about you, but that just makes me go, oh, thank you, Lord. Huh? But there's an idol we got to deal with. Let's go back to Nehemiah 11. If we're going to walk in the ministry God has for us, it's an idol we've got to deal with. Nehemiah 11, verse 1 again. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten and to live in, to live in the Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in their other towns. And the people blessed all the men who, were willing, who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So they cast lots. Not one out of ten moves into the city, and then some people volunteered. I want you to put yourself in their shoes, and I want you to imagine that disruption. We don't like our comfort messed with, do we? Can you imagine? Many of them had to sell their lands, uproot their families. Instead of farming their own plot, providing for their own family, they had to become dependent on people outside the city who would farm and bring produce into the city. Can you imagine the disruption? How many of you have ever felt like God was moving you out of a comfort zone at any point in your journey? You ever felt that? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have pushed back against that? And Yeah, some people just said, I'll raise my hand. You know, comfort and convenience are not evil in and of themselves. You know what the problem with comfort and convenience is? It's what our hearts tend to make of them. They tend to become idols. Comfort, you know, there, there's something broken about the human heart that we tend to twist God's good gifts and make them into idols. We, comfort and convenience has a way of sneaking in front of God in our lives and stealing our affection. And we live in America. We live in the land of comfort and plenty. And it's not that I'm saying we've got to resist comfort and convenience, but we have got to We've got to pay attention to how those things tend to creep in and rob our affections for God. Sabotage our readiness when he says, go, move. When you start to think about, I, I, you know, I've been on I don't know how many short-term mission trips. And I love going. Every time I go, I love going. But I, I cannot think of one trip that I've ever gone on one outreach that I've participated in where there wasn't at some moment a confrontation with my 
flesh over my comfort, over my convenience. I start to imagine myself in a foreign land without air conditioning, and I start to go, oh, man, I just don't. Right? We don't like that. It's when comfort and convenience becomes an idol for us, Jesus' call to self-denial starts to sound strange. It starts to sound foreign. We start hitting the snooze button on his alarming call to take up our cross and follow him. Later, tomorrow, next year. All because of this, this idol of comfort and convenience. Those who moved experienced an incredible disruption. Here's some good news is that Jesus taught us how to confront this danger. Do you remember when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted? Forty days he fasted. And we've talked about this a lot at Res, but don't, don't ever make the mistake of thinking that Jesus wasn't really tired, that he wasn't really hungry. That in his flesh, he wasn't weak in this moment. And the enemy shows up, Satan shows up and starts to tempt him with comfort and convenience. Jesus, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You can do it. You want a kingdom, Jesus? Why go through all that hardship? Just bow down and worship me and I'll give you my world. Right? If you are the son of God, prove it right now. Jump off this temple and let the whole world watch your father save you. You don't have to do what your father wants. Do it right now. Do it your way. Quick, easy, convenient. If you really start to put yourself there in that moment, you start to realize how quickly we succumb to those kinds of temptations. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus was not there even to do his own will. He says, I only do what I see my father doing. And he clung to a promise of a better kingdom. And he said, no, man shall not live by bread alone. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He was anchored to the word. He had a renewed mind. He knew he was being led. The Bible makes it clear he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And he faced that temptation. We become like what we worship. Right? And worship, listen, worship doesn't always look like this in church when songs are being sung. Worship could look like you and I sitting in our lazy boys in front of our TVs. Worship could look like Staring into that dark abyss of our smartphones. Worship could look like that surge of anticipation, power, that, that feeling of power that comes when we've got plenty of money in the bank. You know, even earlier when I asked, how many of you are thankful for your salvation? You know, one of the biggest challenges we have 
as American Christians is we don't, because of the comforts and conveniences that we joy, enjoy all the time, we don't live with this awareness of just how lost we would be were it not for Christ. I, I grew up in church, and I remember a day and a time where we would come to church and we would sing, and I remember seeing some of the older saints worshiping their faces off when they would sing about the kingdom, they would sing about heaven, longing. There was, there was a longing, a longing for something more. And I used to think that that was... I don't know. I didn't fully understand it. Because I'm like a lot of you in this room. I didn't grow up wanting for anything. Right? I didn't grow up in a rich home. But compared to the rest of I, I mean, I don't remember ever really lacking. I mean, I've had hard times. You've had hard times. Sometimes there's more month than money. Huh? When was the last time you went without? When was the last time you, you found yourself in a place where you're going, God, if you don't step in, I'm out of options. I'm out of hope here. I'm saying all that to say, you don't have to despise, you don't have to reject, you don't have to avoid comfort and convenience but if we're going to walk in the fruitful ministry that God has planned for us that he is endeavoring to lead us in by his spirit if we're going to do that we've got to be ready to tear down the idols that comfort and convenience tend to become so that it doesn't sabotage our readiness when God says go when God says move when God says step out, step up. When God says I didn't bless you so you could become a hoarder. I didn't prosper you. I'm not just giving you good health so that you can go on more vacations. I'm not despising any of that. I just want to challenge us that you realize the, the, the primary focus of the Christian's life is accomplishing God's purposes for our lives. Walking in the good works that he has prepared for us. The people of Israel came to a place where God had helped them rebuild the wall. The wall's up, the city's there. Who's going to move? Who's going to go? Who's going to step out of their comfort zones? Who's going to recognize that my life is not my own anymore. Right? Who's going to be led by the Spirit to take up the cross and follow? We've talked about this a lot, but you know, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he wasn't just saying that if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to endure hard things. Really what he was saying was that following me is not life on your terms. Following me is not being the captain of your own destiny. 
It's recognizing I've got a plan for you. And I've given you my spirit to lead you in that plan. And will you trust me when that plan begins to unfold and it confronts the idols of comfort and convenience that we often bow down to? In the kingdom, there are no bench warmers. There are no second string players. If you don't get athletic analogies, I can't come up with another one right now, so just. <laughs> there are no second strings. Yeah, there, there are different levels of responsibility, different gifts, but we're all baptized into one body. And you're just as called as I am, as Keith is, as Bob is, as Pastor Barr is, as everybody in this church that leads a small group or teaches in children's ministry or serves on the host team. You're called, you're planted. I'll tell you this, I have, Mary and I have been so blessed of late. There have been two or three couples of families that we've, talked with recently who have said to us that they they feel like God's given them the house that they're in and put them in the neighborhood that they're in to do ministry that challenges me because I'll be honest with you I got a neighbor neighbor that gets on my nerves okay I'm trying to get my yard straight, and he's in my way. I'm being a little bit facetious, but you know what I'm talking about, right? To see your house, to see your home. Some of you relocated to this area, and God, God did not move you just so you could have a better job, more income, and a cheaper house compared to where you used to live. Some of you have been blessed with a very comfortable retirement. You're not sweating. How might God want to use you right now? And you can sit back and you can look at all the obstacles and you go, well, my health this or, or, or my limitations here or I'm so busy now. What if we just stopped? What if we backed up from all of that, all of that noise, and we just said, God, your word says you have a plan for my life. And sometimes I push back, sometimes I'm not paying attention, sometimes I make mistakes, sometimes I disobey, but I thank you that you're still leading me by your spirit and all things are working together for good. Even when I veered into Egypt, you still blessed me. Amen? And God, I don't want the idols of comfort and convenience to rob my affections for you and my readiness to move when you say move to go when you say go, to step out when you say step out. Because I can tell you, when God says move, it won't be comfortable. <laughs> I've never heard God say, go Bradley, do this Bradley, speak Bradley, bear witness Bradley, deny yourself Bradley, serve me here Bradley, and it be comfortable and convenient. It's just not my experience. 
But I think there are plenty in this room that would testify and say, though, there have been times when we missed it. The times that I've stepped out and said, yes, Lord, it's far better. It's far better than the empty promises my comfort and convenience make me. Right? It's far better when God says go to go. When God says step out, step out. When God says trust me, to trust him. Give your life away. You could sum the whole sermon up with that. Give your life away. Because Jesus promised, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the promise, right? So, you're called. You've been chosen. And God has good works for you. And you're being led by His Spirit. And don't let comfort and convenience get in the way of the abundant life that God has for you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, We, um, I, I, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for the promises of your word. I'm thankful for how your word renews my mind. And I'm thankful to be with friends this morning where we can, we might be, live different lives. We might have different backgrounds. We, we've all taken different roads to this place right now, this moment, on this Sunday morning. But we all share in this wonderful truth that we've been baptized into your body and that you have good works for us. And even as Jesus taught us to pray, yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, now and forever. And so I pray that you would renew our vision of life with you, not on our terms, but life has called people, led people, people who have been given your word, that we can discern your will, and people who you call us out of the empty promises of this world into a life that's more abundant and full. So as we sing, I pray that you would just implant this word deep within us, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to close in worship. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.